Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome to the Football Bosses program here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Chris Appleford, your host today, and all as always in the co-host chair is Tony Pinata. Michael Zapponi is not around. Not sure where MIA. he is. Well, <laughs> who knows where he is? Uh, Maybe he's in um, cyberspace somewhere. Uh, you know. Anyway, but uh, maybe he's stalking. You know, there's some big meetings going on at the moment, Tony. Maybe he's stalking the corridors of power, trying to figure out what's going on. But if anyone's seen him. Give us a call here at FNR and uh, and let us know. But uh, Tony, there's big big stuff going on at the moment. Uh, big meetings going on up there in Sydney yesterday, today, tomorrow. And we're going to talk to a few people who are key players in those discussions. Rabbi Cram, who is the chairman of the Association of Australian Football Clubs, will be our first guest. And then uh, in our third segment, we've got Pablo Bateson, who's the interim chairman of the Football Supporters Australia Group. Uh, they are both seeking positions on the board, both seeking voting rights. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they've got to say. But Tony, can you give us an idea What's going on up there at the moment? You've got the FFA, FIFA and AFC all together, plus these groups who want to be a part of the new FFA board. Yeah, I'm not sure they all want to be on the board, but I think they all want some voice, and, yep. and, and, and rightly so. And, and this has come about because uh, FFA and the clubs uh, couldn't agree on the voting structure, and uh, FIFA gave a timeline, it was missed. They gave a second timeline to the FFA, that was missed. So they said, well, we're going to come in uh, together with the AFC because ultimately Australia reports to the uh, Asian uh, Confederation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have a sit down with all these groups and find out what, what's going on. So, you know, today they had the A-League clubs, they had the member federations. Um, tomorrow they're going to work out a, a working group. So it's going to take a little bit more time, but things are progressing. And, uh, you know, FIFA and AFC aren't going to let this go. They're going to make sure that uh, the right processes uh, are followed. So how, how long until this is all wrapped up and we've got, uh, and we've got a, a way forward? I think it'll still be a couple of months. Yep. Um, I think by the time they work out the, uh, the working groups and the structure, sit down, um, hopefully it's sooner. But, uh, you know, on Friday last week, FFA made a major announcement, uh, what everyone's sort of been waiting for about expansion, uh, the A-League uh, in 1920. So there will be two new teams. Um, We'll wait and see what the criteria is. Um, my guess is that there'll be one from Melbourne, one from Sydney. Just, you know, David Gallup's all been about, you know, go fish where the fish are. And uh, Melbourne, Sydney, the big uh, two states, uh, whether they need another team, don't know. But uh, I definitely believe that'll be a, a Melbourne and a Sydney team coming in in 1920. So some something's coming out something needs to be done um but uh first and foremost i need to sort out this uh uh, issues with uh, with the people who want to want you know share of uh, you know the, the game and, and rightly so. So you say that you think it'll be Melbourne and Sydney getting the next two teams. If you were CEO, would you go with those two two centres or would you go somewhere else? I think there's probably other opportunities. I think um, in Sydney, I mean, they've already got quite a few teams. Um, you know, 
it's going to be South Sydney, and you know I think it'll happen. Melbourne could possibly have an, a, another team. Uh, I think definitely Queensland, uh, and maybe they'll go with uh, Melbourne Sydney and then follow it up with Queensland. I'd, I'd like to see a derby in Adelaide. I, I really think, you know, Hindmarsh packed would be would yeah. be amazing. But I haven't seen the reports. I'm sure they've got their consultants working out uh, where where it should go, and uh, and they'll make the the right decision because it is critical that they make the right decision. Tasmania for me, just has to be in, has to be in. Well, they, uh, you know, we we've spoken to uh, we spoke to Robert Beltegi last yeah. week, and he had a, you know, they've got a great uh, great backing by the government, yeah. uh, you know, and they're prepared to to go in and and, and do it, and uh, you know. Hopefully they, they can get a licence as well because we can't say 10, we can't say 12. We've got to go to 14, 15, 16, maybe yeah. 16. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Hey, uh, before we go to a break, is it embarrassing that we've got FIFA and the AFC here trying to sort out our mess? I think so. I mean, we should, it should never have got to this stage uh, where they've gone, they've had to fly in and, and sort out the, uh, you know, sit basically in the middle and look, you know, it's a bit like tennis, uh, I suppose, <laughs> look left, look right, look left, right. Uh, it shouldn't have got to that. They should have been sorted out before, um, but it hasn't and they've, they've come in. I don't think it's, uh, you know, I honestly don't think that they'll come in and have a uh, normalisation committee and, and wipe out the board. That won't happen. Um, but they are going to make sure that uh, FFA follow uh, through the right process and, and and they're going to give everyone an opportunity to, uh, to say what they, they feel is happening in the game, and, and that's what they're doing. We're going to take a break. After the break, we're going to talk to the chairman of the Association of Australian Football Clubs, Rabbi Craman, right here on the Football Bosses Program on FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses program with Tony Pinata and Chris Appleford today. Michael Zapponi not with us. He's uh, indisposed. I don't know where he is. Do you know where he is, Tony? Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I think he's a bit flustered at uh, <laughs> his real job. We've got a very uh, important guest on the phone right now. He's the chairman of the Association of Australian Football Clubs, the AAFC, Rabbi Crayon. Rabbi, welcome to the program. Thank you, guys. It was great to be on. Hey, Rabbi, just for everyone out there who might not know, can you tell us what the Association of Australian Football Clubs is? Well, it's an association that was formed... Uh, in March last year, where all the NPL clubs um, came together, 85 clubs came together in Melbourne uh, to form the association on the basis that clubs thought that uh, as, a, as clubs that we weren't represented. And at the moment, we have 121 NPL clubs nationally as part of our association. Uh, we have a board that was uh, elected last year at our AGM uh, having a director from each of the states on our board, and you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm uh, got appointed as chairman of the um, the association. Robbie, welcome to the show. Um, so, who's on the board? Tell, tell us a little bit about the personalities that make up the um, association. Well, I think it was important for us that uh, when the association was first formed, people were sceptical. This was going to be a New South Wales, Sydney, Melbourne-driven. Um, 
association. But, you know, the, the clubs got together and each state has a director. Um, and um, so it's of equal vote. So there is a board representative, you know, of New South Wales, you know, Mara from New South Wales, Dean Hennessy from Victoria. We've got Amin Ayu from SA. Obviously, we've got myself from um, Queensland. Um, we've got Gary from WA. We've got Victoria from uh, Tasmania. Um, and, and so, you know, and we've got obviously Christo uh, from northern New South Wales and John Thiel from Canberra. So I think the key for us was to make sure that we have every state represented, every state has an equal vote. Uh, and, and the thing about it that we've seen, we've seen unity amongst the clubs uh, to focus on the core issues. And, uh, you know, when the association was formed, the core issues were the establishment of a second tier competition. Um, to look at the, the cost of playing in the NPL, which is a key thing for a lot of our clubs, is the cost structure and the amount of money the kids have to pay to play NPL, uh, the financial viability of the NPL, uh, and, you know, the, the whole structure of uh, the elite programs uh, within Australia. So, you know, they're the core issues for our clubs. And, uh, you know, and obviously one, the one that still maintains to be, obviously, the second tier, but just as equally is the cost for the kids to play NPL, which is how do we generate revenue to the NPL clubs, how we reduce the cost that kids don't have to pay, you know, $2,000 to play NPL, which is which is a big burden on uh, the families in the current climate. You, sorry, do you feel like the FFA hasn't been listening to the clubs at the NPL level? Well, I, I think the key is that the clubs weren't represented, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I think outside of probably New South Wales, uh, where there's a bit more association, a lot of the clubs really have a licence to participate in NPL, don't have a vote at state level. Um, so, you know, the clubs thought that we weren't listened to. You know, we had a lot of obligations placed on us uh, in relation to having those licences. And each of the clubs voluntarily put up their hand to have a licence. But I, I think over the last five years, as the NPL's matured and, and things have changed from five years ago to where they are today, uh, you know, I mean, I think the stat that people will is that the clubs nationally invest nearly $60 million a year in development of the game. That's what the NPL clubs nationally spend. Um, you know, and we represent, you know, nearly 2,000 teams, uh, over 40,000 players from under nine or way to senior play. So we're, we think we're an integral part of the football landscape and I think it's important that we're given a voice um, and, you know, not to, not to sort of take something over but more to enhance what's already existence. Rubby, um, but through each, um, all the NPL clubs and they report through to, to the state federations, don't you have a say in the structure of those federations in appointing the uh, the board, the presidents and all that sort of stuff? Doesn't that how it no. operates? No, no, we don't. I mean, it's very clearly in our licences, NPL licences, that the NPL clubs aren't members of the federations or zones. So, no, uh, I think the only state that might be different is in New South Wales, uh, where the NPL clubs do have a bit of a say, but the rest of them, for example, in Queensland, none of the NPL clubs are members of any zone or or the federation, so you don't have a vote on who goes on the board of a zone or goes on the board of the federation. Uh, you know, it's very clearly defined in our license agreements that you can't be members. That seems quite odd to me. Um, you know, I remember my time at FFE where, uh, you know, the Premier League clubs did have a say um, on, uh, on, the, on the structure. So unless, yeah, it must have sort of changed, which is not right. So I can see, 
you know the, the value in uh, in the associations and uh, and being able to have some sort of say because I mean you're an integral part of the whole game and uh, yes you got the A League um, but uh, it's more than the A League this game of football is more than the A League it's it's made up of the uh, the young kids men women referees futsal the whole thing and everyone should have some sort of say in the game and. Uh, Hopefully that's uh, that's sort of coming out now. You met with um, FFA yesterday, is that correct? Uh, no, we had a meeting with uh, FIFA and the AFC yesterday, uh, which is uh, a very productive couple of hours with them um, to give them an overview. Again, it's a follow-up to our meeting with them last August and the correspondence that we've had with them. Uh, again, it was more to outline the progress that we've made and, and also, I think, also to clarify exactly of the structure of the NPL, you know, state-by-state, you know, just like you guys did. I mean, they weren't aware that the NPL clubs didn't have a vote or didn't have a say in um, represented at state level. Um, and uh, so we had to explain that to them how that works. And, you know, and I, and I think we've made a lot of headway in that. And, you know, I think we've gone beyond now where the association was seen, you know, eight months ago to be a, you know, people referred to us at the early stages or, you know, a bunch of disgruntled clubs trying to get together. No, we're, we're a very much unified association purely focused on what we do in the game, uh, focused on the development of the game because we do play an integral part in the, in the development of the game, but also the opportunities that we provide the kids and, uh, you know, we've been rock solid in our, um, you know, in our process and our messaging and, and we haven't wavered and we've had dialogue whether it be with the State Federation, the FFA, the A-League Club, the PFA, obviously with AFC, uh, FIFA and the FFA. So I think, you know, we've come a long way and I think that's been re- rewarded in the recognition that we've had that we've got that direct dialogue with FIFA and AFC and also been invited to tomorrow's session uh, when the Congress Working Group gets together to, you know, to make up what makes up the Congress Working Group. So I think we are now seen as a genuine stakeholder in the game. No, that's uh, that's uh, that's excellent news. Uh, is it true that uh, you asked FFA to leave the um, the meeting when you uh, met with AFC and FIFA? I think it's best to say that we 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 thought it was best that we have a uh, discussion with FIFA and AFC without the FFA, and, and true, FFA, you know, agreed, and um, so we had our meeting just with the FFA, uh, with FIFA and the AFC. And uh, so, sorry, who's uh, who's representing FIFA and AFC? Who's come uh, come across? Uh, we had um, Ravi Kumar from the AFC. We had uh, Luca Nicola from FIFA and Noda. I can't even, I can't pronounce uh, yep. Noda surname, but uh, no uh, from the uh, from FIFA. The three representatives were over. Here. So, how have discussions with the FFA gone up until this point? Um, look, we've we've been in dialogue. We've had numerous meetings with the FFA over the last couple of months. Uh, obviously, we got off to a rocky start when we issued our. Uh, you know, our blueprint for a second tier competition, uh, and, I, and I think at the early start when the association was formed, uh, you know, I don't think the CFFA, um, you know, I think they were wary of what we are and what we do and who we are, and, they, and I suppose we didn't get what I thought the respect that we deserved to start. Uh, I think where we are today, especially in the last, you know, two three months. We've had numerous meetings with them, and I, and I think, in particular, in relation to the second tier competition, uh, we're very much on the same page now that we're working in partnership with them to put together a working group 
uh, to take the, the second tier concept to the next level. Can you give us an insight into what those conversations with FIFA and the AFC were like yesterday? Were they cordial? Were they robust? Was there was everyone kind of on the same page or were there things that you disagreed on? No, no, I think it was very much robust discussions where obviously they've had their own information. They were challenging what we thought of that information. I think what we spoke about was more, you know, people always want to talk about personalities, and that's one thing we didn't do. It wasn't about personalities. It was about, for them, understanding the landscape of where the NPL club sat and the reasons why our association was formed um, and where we sought our part. And I, and I think it was a very cordial discussions where they challenged us, no question. Um, but importantly, I think it was more for them to truly understand the landscape of the game. And, you know, obviously with the geographic spread of uh, MPL nationally, you know, it's about understanding it, well, how each state operates from an MPL perspective. And, and I think they appreciated our frankness in that we didn't, um, we didn't personalise things. We stuck to the core issues of what's good for football. Do you feel like everyone is in agreement that there is a second tier needed or have you found some resistance from some quarters? I think, you know, at the start, I think people were sceptical, you know, and it was interesting, the, the concept was always people telling you that you can't do things and I think we've taken the attitude, why don't we focus on how we can make things happen? It's easy to tell somebody you can't do things, that's the easiest option. Um, but I think our association has purely been focused on how can we make things happen. We've, we've been challenged, there's no question about those. But I think where we are today, um, and even the discussions we had today with the member federations, FFA, was I think we were united in about going to the next level, how we can make this a reality. Um, and taking the concerns, this has got to be a financially viable model that needs to get off the ground. But I think what we are today is that people saying, you know, everyone's supportive of the second-tier competition. Now we have to get the hard yards and making sure that it can work and it can stand up and fund two feet. Ravi, I think it's, um, it, it's you know, we, we do definitely need a second-tier competition. I think we need to give uh, these clubs um, some ambition um, and some opportunity. Uh, I think it will increase the standard of playing, the standard of the players coming through. Now, you've, you've called it the championship. Is that a working model? Is that um, you know, what you'd like to call it? And, and how would you structure it? I know I've read the actual uh, model and um, when it first came out. And, um, and I actually spoke to, to, to Gino uh, Mara, uh, one of your board yep. members, about it and you know, made some comments. Uh, but that was, uh, what, 18 months ago, 12 months ago? It was it was five months ago. How's oh. that? <laughs> it, it, it felt like it's not like eighteen months, but that was October, end of October, two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and I think what's shown what we the amount of work that we've done in that time. Um, I think what we've said, what we put out there back in October was a blueprint for a draft. Uh, I think what has always lacked. Um, you know, our model wasn't, this is the model. This was put together a model that's a draft document for consultation with the stakeholders. And I think where it's about creating that dialogue, and I think for us was now a matter of working with everybody. It's okay, what do people agree, disagree, and let's end up with the model. But I think what we did, uh, we took the initiative to put something together that can create that dialogue. Um, and it is... The, you know, a draft model, it's not the model, because there's no doubt some people agree or disagree, but I think 
you know, we as an association have taken a very stance on it that what we put up is for discussion paper to go to the next stage. And I think uh, once people got over that, you know, this was not the final model, this is not, we're not fixed on it, as in, uh, you know, it, it can be tweaked. No, I've got no doubt, you know, the, the proposal we put together and what we might end up will be varied. Um, but that's, that's how it should be because you want to be able to have that robust discussion. You don't want to have something which is black and white. And I, and I think what we're seeing is that we're flexible in what we want to do because what we're, what we're all about is if we can end up with a second-tier competition that gives more kids the opportunity to both girls and boys. And I think that the key to this is that what we're talking about second-tier is a second tier for men and women. So, uh, and I think sometimes that gets lost in the translation. When people talk about a second tier, people think of it automatically just as a male um, second tier. We're saying it's male and female. Um, but I, I think we're encouraged. I think that's why we've had some progress in that because we're, we're not, this is it and there's no changes. And, you know, much a surprise of a lot of people that we are very much open uh, to working with everybody and you know and I think that's why we've made such a big progress in such a short space of time yeah, I think uh, when when you did release it in October, I think uh, FFA came out and slapped it pretty quickly, and uh, which I think was 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 wrong. Um, their approach, um, they didn't even give you, I think, the opportunity to, to explain and, uh, and and sit down. Have have they now come around a little bit and get an understanding of what the championship, this second tier competition, is about? Are they more open? Oh, look, what we are now, we are in partnership with the FFA. Uh, to work together to get to the next uh, next model and put together a working group. I, I think what is what we've been pleasantly uh, encouraged, well, surprised and, and encouraged by the work that we're now doing, work hand in hand with the FFA executive, um, and what you're seeing now, the collaboration between the AASC and FFA, together working with the other stakeholders uh, to form a working group that can take our draft uh, blueprint to get it to the next working stage and you know and today was a key day for us uh, again as we worked with the member federations who i've got to say we're all on board uh, there's still some questions to be answered but i think we walked away today um that the member federations re- were understood that this was a joint issue between ffa and the afc um and it's, it's uh, two organisations working together, working with every stakeholder to get to the next level. Hey, Rabbi, uh, I think when the blueprint came out, you were you had a timeline of 2019 to get this second tier up and running. The FFA have since said that that sort of time frame is when they're going to be introducing two new teams into the A-League. Have you revised your timeline? Do you agree that A-League expansion is vital before we get a second tier, or do you think we could do both at the same time? I think we could do both at the same time. I don't think that adding, you know, there's no doubt the expansion of A-League is a must, and that can happen, but I think there's no reason why... Uh, creating a second comp- second tier competition and needs to wait um, until the A League settle its expansion. I, I think they come, they can do hand in hand. I mean, we have set that timeline. I, I think what's going to happen as we work through uh, the working group and coming up with a defined model, that timeline might vary. But at this stage, no one has come to us to say that 2019 is unachievable at this stage. Now, things might change, and I, and I think you've got to keep fluid. I think one of the things that we've said to everybody, if you don't set timelines, it'll never happen. 
And we've been very clear setting our timeline. We've altered a couple of things as things have changed, but it's important that whatever we do, we always we have timelines that we aim to deliver on because, it's got, as you know, if you don't do that, um, people don't believe it and um, don't aspire to it, and therefore it'll just never happen. And I think we've learned from the past that, you know, when you commit to something, you've actually got to go and start the process but keep people informed. And if that timeline has to change, well, it'll change for the right reasons in the benefit of the game, not because someone says it can't happen. There's also been some disagreement in terms of the financial modelling of the second-tier competition. I think in your blueprint you said $2.5 million a season for each club. PFA came out and said it's more like $5.5 million plus 10 to $12 million for the league to run itself. Have you had to have a rethink of the financial modelling or do you think that your modelling is right? No, look, we're still very confident our modelling in relation to the two and a half million uh, for a club to operate is uh, is achievable. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, and people talk about financial viability. Well, you know, if it was going to cost five and a half million dollars for a club to perform, it's, fun, it's unsustainable. But we believe that a second tier competition, you know, working off a budget of two and a half million dollars is achievable. Um, obviously, we've got to work on the revenue stream, um, you know, and what is that final model going to look like? But we, we our, our modelling based on our blueprint was a two and a half million budget for a club to operate in a second tier is achievable and can be achieved without taking the drain of taking revenue from whether it be the A-League or the state federations that we believe this competition can sustain itself. Rabbi, how confident are you after your discussions with FIFA and the AFC that you'll actually get a spot on the the new FFA board and voting rights? Well, I think we've got to take one step at a time. I think tomorrow's meetings in relation to what makes up the working group for the Congress. That's our first time. We've made it very clear to the stakeholders that we think if it were, when the working group is formed, the AFC should be represented. I mean, we're very comfortable with that. We're very heartened by the support that we've been received. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes you take small steps. Um, and the full step for us is tomorrow, and when that working group is that we are given a spot on that. And we, we're comfortable that we believe that we've done enough to convince, or not to convince, to put our credentials forward that we can have a say. Ruby, um yeah, look, uh, I think it's uh, it's good news. I think uh, things are moving, which is great. You know, if you, if you love the game, it's uh, it's been in stall mode for for a while, so things are progressing. Uh, get this working group. I know it's still going to take a little bit of time, and um, you've got to be uh, people got to be patient. But I think it's a step in the right direction. Just moving away from this Congress um, and putting uh, your other hat on expansion. Um, what are your thoughts about? another team up uh, up north in Queensland. I mean, that's uh, your uh, sort of uh, yeah. playground. Well, yeah, look, I, I think there's no doubt there is room um, for another team in Queensland. I, I think we've got the games growing at the level. Um, you know, there's no doubt. I think, you know, there's, there's no doubt there is a room in, in uh, Queensland. I, I think, you know, if you look at realistically, where should that team be based? There's no doubt it should be based in southeast Queensland. I don't believe that, that, you know, North Queensland or country, regional Queensland is ready for a team yet. Uh, I think that uh, the clubs in regional Queensland, we get established in the NPL, an opportunity to go into the second tier competition. Um, I mean, we've, you know, I think one thing we've learned from 
the expansion last time is that you've got to, especially in the regional areas, you've got to build it from grassroots up, um, which I think is what we're doing from an NPL, then hopefully a second tier. But I, I think South East Queensland deserves another team in the A-League. And, you know, there's plenty of options there, whether it be in that uh, southwest area where around that Ipswich Corridor or a second team in Brisbane, you know. And, you know, you've got some strong clubs who put their um, hands up for it. Uh, and I think that can only benefit the Brisbane Raw by having a second team in South East Queensland. Hey, Rabi, thanks for joining us here on the Football Bosses today. We really appreciate your time. Best of luck with uh, the work you're doing with the second tier competition and also with your discussions with FIFA and AFC and the FFA. And uh, we'll have you back on sometime down the track to, uh, to get an update. Thanks very much, guys. Look forward to having a chat later. Ravi Crayham there, the chairman of the Association of Australian Football Clubs. We're going to take a break here on the Football Bosses. Coming up, plenty more. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses here this evening. Chris Appleford hosting today in Michael Zapponi's absence. And of course, as always, Tony Pinata is in the studio, still trying to figure out how or where Zapper is. Who knows? But uh, anyway, we'll get to, uh, I'm sure we'll get to the bottom of it by, by the end of the show. But anyway, we've got a very special guest on the line right now. He is the interim chairman of the Football Supporters, of Football Supporters Australia. His name is Pablo Bateson. Pablo, welcome to the program. G'day. Pablo, can you tell us, uh, give us a bit of background on Football Supporters Australia. How did it come to be? What was the process that took place for this entity to exist? Okay. Um, well, it was a meeting of minds, uh, my fellow co-founders and I, uh, two Victorian lads who, who've been passionate, lifelong supporters uh, like me, and a growing dissatisfaction with the disenfranchised sort of state of fans from Football Federation Australia and the disconnect between the national governing body and core fans, in fact all fans really, there's uh, growing frustration and uh, we of course had FIFA pressuring FFA through their leadership to reform and get this governance uh, uh, reform process going uh, and to be more inclusive which includes possibly the biggest stakeholder group in football, the fans. Without the fans, the game, the professional game, can't operate. So we got ourselves organised in the absence of there not being a national body uh, to help facilitate and advocate for fans. We've got some fantastic fans groups associated with individual clubs. But apart from specific crisis issues like the fans... Uh, banned the Pearls process a year or two ago, there's been no coordinated effort. So that was the impetus. How many members do you have? Are you, uh, are you just a small group or have you got lots of members Australia-wide? Um, it's a growing uh, involvement. Uh, we don't have a formal membership yet. We've got people registering online and getting involved with our forum online and our national survey. So it's very early days, we recognise that. So we don't yet have a, a mandate to represent all fans. Uh, but we had to make a start. We're registered as an incorporated association, so we're trying to walk the talk in terms of governance. 
Um, the national survey is growing momentum. Um, we're we're going to give that a few more weeks for people to respond online. That's a great opportunity to engage with fans. Um, and we're starting to talk with active fans groups and other fan group stakeholders as well uh, across Australia. Has been the um, the reaction with the different active groups, uh, you know, the RBB, the Cove, uh, the Den, um, the Marinators, uh, the Shed, uh, Yellow Fever. I'm not going to go through all the, the squadron. Have I missed any? Um, has um, what's Melbourne? Melburnians? Are they still called the Melburnians? Melbourne uh, City, Pablo. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, Wellington, the Yellow Fever, were represented at yesterday's meeting with uh, FFA and FIFA and the AFC, the stakeholder meeting, and uh, the Cove were there. Uh, there was an active fan representing uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, um, um, who actually does the Around the Block podcast really well. Mm-hmm. And someone from the Central Coast Mariners Supporters Club. Yep. Um, obviously, it was the tyranny of distance, and we, you know, FFA were hoping that some other fans groups would link in by teleconference. But really, it was a very short turnaround. Not enough, perhaps, notice given. And look, we were very critical that FFA chose to go through the club to get the engagement and the. Uh, nominate fans to be part of the meeting. That that was the wrong way. Look, you can't assume the clubs and fans groups are on the same page and have the same agenda. Some clubs have a very good relationship with their active fans groups, but many don't. So I think there has to be acknowledgement as a better way. Um, look, it is what it is, though, and um, we went ahead with the meeting. Um, and uh, look, I can tell you, it was very open and frank and uh, very robust, the discussion. Uh, but there is a way forward, and that's something that Football Supporters Australia have proposed. Yeah, Pablo, I think it's, uh, pe- as you said earlier, uh, people tend to forget that uh, without fans, there is no game. And, uh, and we saw it a couple of years ago when uh, the fans made a bit of a, um, I suppose, a... I suppose not a strike, but they didn't attend some games, and it was quite eerie, um, you know, with the active support uh, not being there. So it's 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 an important it's a, it's part of the uh, the fabric of our game. Um, I remember some of the uh, you know the the games where you had um, you know the Melbourne Victory active supporters um, chanting, and people just loved that. You know, the the Sydney Derby is, is a classic example where you had the RBB in the Cove, uh, you know, on either end, and it really made the atmosphere. And I think. Over time, um, yeah, the active support have been sort of uh, smacked around a little bit. Um, I know there have been issues that uh, you know FFA and the clubs have had to address, and some are for the right reasons. But uh, it's important that uh, the fans are uh, you know have a say because uh, without them there is there is nothing. So saying all that, how did the conversations go? I mean, did you make headway yesterday in your um, I suppose meeting with um, AFC and FIFA and the FFA? Well, I think it was very informative, especially for the FIFA and AFC officials there. Um, I think uh, they are more in touch with the issues uh, confronting Australian football and this standoff or disconnect between the national governing body and and fans, and particularly active fans groups. So a lot of issues were raised. 
but we rounded off and we proposed, uh, we, we issued a statement before the meeting and now we followed it up. That this is a great opportunity to fully engage with fans, not just active fans groups, but all fans uh, across the country, because it is a pyramid and spectrum of uh, fandom and, and support. Um, and to get a process, to commit to a process of engagement through the working group, which is establishing the Congress, through the Congress itself. But beyond that, what there's growing interest and support for FFA to set up some sort of advisory council made up of fan stakeholders and including active groups that can meet on a regular basis and can inject in a proactive way to critical decision making and policy development. This is long overdue. It happens in other countries, for example, England and uh, and their Football Supporters Federation. So we can do it here. And I, we've got to we've got to move beyond the spin and and get commitment and and we can't put it off for another year or two. Look, it, this this is dragged on this reform process for the Congress for almost two years. So we need action now. So we've encouraged FFA with CIFA to come up with a proposal for the fans to consider all the fans groups. Hey Pablo, did you raise specific issues at yesterday's meeting? And if so, what were they? Uh, the main issues. Yeah, the issues that the supporters uh, of Australian football have with the FFA. It's very broad. Uh, it includes scheduling of games, it's the policing of football, the, the, the lack of a uh, connection between the grassroots the hundreds of thousands of players who are not converted to attending A-League games. Um, we, and, and look, there were so many issues, uh, but of course the meeting, in terms of its scope, uh, I bring it back to, well, where to from here and how do we better engage so that we can deal with these issues into the long term. Uh, everyone got a, an opportunity, uh, all the, the the groups there to have their say and they were listened to. There, there was some tension. Uh, I don't want to go into details on that. Uh, I'll let others uh, perhaps explain that. Um, but I think really now FFA and FIFA are on notice. Uh, we want action and we want genuine engagement and we want a seat at the table. Uh, fans need a seat at the table, eventually full participation in the Congress uh, and certainly beyond that I've mentioned an advisory council which could be a standing committee so it's got some grunt. So you felt as though that you were taken seriously by all the parties yesterday and that you were heard? Well we were certainly heard. Um, it has to get up the value chain though. I mean David Gallup was there uh, which was very welcome. Uh, but, you know, it has to go further. It has to go to the board level and to the chairman, uh, Stephen Lowy. And it's got to get uh, the buy-in and the support at the very top to say, yes, we will do this. We haven't just listened to you. Now we're going to act upon it and we're going to properly engage you and not take you for granted just like a metric of the marketing and, and selling products and tickets and so on. 
Pablo, did they um, did they say that they'll you know sort of get you uh, your group involved in the in the working group and continue these uh, discussions going forward? Well, there was no commitment, and I didn't really expect it uh, actually on the day. But we put this proposal to them, so it's now for FFA with FIFA. Uh, and hopefully FIFA's endorsement to come back to us, not just Football Supporters Australia, but all the stakeholder groups, uh, the fans groups and and others who weren't there, to consider a proposal uh, and feedback. And, look, we can't wait months and months and months. I, I, I think this has got to be turned around quickly. Have you put a timeline on it for the FFA to to meet your demands? Well, I don't want to say their demands, but this is our proposal. It's a very firm, strong proposal. And within the months, why should it take several months? I know there are many other broader stakeholder groups and and there's two or three days of meetings, but the fans have had enough. And, you know, I think we feel we've been taken for granted. Uh, So here's the opportunity with one stakeholder group, major stakeholder group, uh, for a response in a timely fashion so we consider it and we maybe negotiate further. So let's, let's hope by the middle part of the year something can be signed off on. We can't wait to the end of the year or into next year. That's just not on. Pablo, you've, uh, you've attended A-League games. Um, what's happening with, uh, with the fans? I mean, uh, we've got the, the Sydney Derby coming up this week and I think uh, sales have improved over the last few days, uh, but it's not going to be a sellout. They're, they're expecting a good crowd of 30,000, which uh, would be a good atmosphere. Um, scheduling hasn't helped being on a Sunday night, but we've seen crowds diminish over the last, uh, or especially this season. Um, and you're in, you know, right at the uh, coalface. What are you hearing? What's Why are fans not going to games at the moment? Well, I think there's various factors. Um, yeah, the scheduling obviously is an issue. But the sanitisation uh, and, <laughs> look, there's inconsistency across stadiums in terms of security and the way things are applied. There's the police, the heavy-handed approach, having riot squad there I, for I don't know what confrontation almost, intimidation and it's taken the edge and a lot of feedback that we're getting is football's losing the vibe in terms of that essential atmosphere which differentiates ourselves from the other codes and sports and it's one of the reasons people go to games because it's not just what's happening on the park, although that's critical and, and certainly the quality of football, but what's happening on the terraces and the fans and that atmosphere and that vibe that intensity, that differentiates football. And the sanitisation has turned people off and the over-policing. Engagement should be the focus, the way forward, rather than confrontation and not the big stick approach. So it has turned a lot of people off. There are other factors. Uh, We could probably discuss this and debate this. Uh, But I think the policing of football is a major, major issue that we need to resolve uh, with some sort of strategic approach. I definitely agree. I think, um, you know, I remember I saw, I've just been, you know, following on social media um, and both both clubs, the Wanderers and uh, Sydney FC, been posting uh, 
highlights of previous derbies and uh, and I just sit back and watch the those games you know full stadiums um, you know 20,000 at Parramatta sold out could move the chanting between the two groups Allianz 40 odd thousand uh, it was half red and black half sky blue uh, it was just amazing and, and people that I you know took to those games that just went away and go these games are better than Europe and they are the, the, the atmosphere and even in Melbourne with um, you know the, the derbies here as well and, and we've seemed to have lost it over the last couple of years especially this year and, and I think the policing has been a, a major issue uh, I remember the last derby I was involved at, at Sydney FC in my time as a CEO, we spent, I think, it was $110,000 on police costs. $110,000 on police costs. And we had no say. Uh, I managed to talk them down by about twenty grand, but basically that was it. They came in and said, right, this is it. And... Uh, and you can't you can't not do it because if something does happen, then uh, then you're liable, and um, they won't you know they won't take uh, take no. And and I know the major major issue is is flares, and uh, and uh, I know in Europe they do these flares, etc. I'm dead against it. Um, it's just not needed in in our game. I think the chanting, the banners, the right banners. Uh, 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 fantastic uh, the drums all that sort of stuff and it just as you said Pablo it creates an atmosphere that people go to the games and go I want to go back because it's just very very unique and uh, and they don't have that in, in the other codes in the other football codes so taking that away the police the heavy handedness it has people go oh, I'm sick of this I'm not going to go and, and be there and be you know controlled by uh, police in uh, in ride squad gear you know, I mean this is not a ride we're going for a family friendly game of football and uh, and I think more work needs to be done between the supporters the clubs the FFA and uh, and the police and 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 the, and the stadia is involved uh, because uh, we can't continue like this because we're going to um, lose more and more fans. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think I'd mentioned engagement rather than confrontation as a big thick approach and enforcement. Well, let's let's be informed by successful projects and programs in Europe and the Enable program in Scandinavia and the UK and. I mentioned that on SNR radio a couple of weeks ago, and then I got a follow-up from a senior police officer in England who's working with stadiums, the stadiums, the clubs, the fans groups, um, to, to approach things differently. And he shared uh, the information and what they're doing there. And it's evidence-based policy. Uh, it does work. It, it actually was applied at the Euro 2004 in Portugal and they didn't have one violent serious incident involving fans the whole tournament now that wasn't a fluke so and and you're right the cost to the community of the resources that are for this over policing that's a huge cost so it just doesn't make sense we've got to move beyond this uh, and I think FFA is in the best position to help facilitate it. So the consistency across the A-League uh, and, and the various stadiums and jurisdictions. Hey, Pablo, thanks so much for giving us the time here on the Football Bosses program on FNR. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with your, uh, with your group, with the Football Supporters Australia and your attempts to get a seat on the board and, uh, and voting rights. Uh, we'll follow your okay. story with interest. 
and and thank you for FNR's support uh, consistently for fans as well. Uh, you get it, we get it, and thousands of the listeners get it. So it's up to FFA now to respond. Pablo Bateson there, Interim Chairman of Football Supporters Australia. We're going to take a break, Tony. After the break, we're going to wrap up the show right here on FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR, Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses program here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Still no Michael Zapponi. Um, too late. Too late, mate. I'll uh, tell you what, Tony, if this is a ratings bonanza, this show, he's in trouble. Yeah, well, great show. I mean, we've had um, you know some some quality guests talking. I mean, it's a hot topic at yep. the moment, football, these meetings that are happening and... Uh, uh, Oxford Street in uh, in Sydney, and uh, yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow again, and um, hopefully good things come out of it. That is the goal. Thank you very much to Rabbi Crayam, the chairman of the Association of Australian Football Clubs, and also Pablo Bateson, the interim chairman of Football Supporters Australia, for being on the show tonight. That's it for the program. Make sure you join us again next Wednesday evening from 8 until 9pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time for another edition of The Football Bosses. Stick around. Plenty more to come right after this. Here comes the money. Here we go. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Ching, ching, ching.